Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. If you'd like to follow the sermon this morning, please find page 1175 in your Bibles. If you're a Christian, and I know many of you are, and want to feel good about yourself as a Christian, to be encouraged and uplifted, this is the passage for you, as indeed it has been and is for Jill. If you've yet to make a commitment of faith, then this passage is for you too, for you'll discover exactly what it is you're missing. Indeed, so compelling is this passage that last Sunday I sensed when Jonathan was preaching, he was itching to get onto it. I sensed it couldn't. In fact, Colin couldn't even resist the temptation in the prayers, and he actually did use it in his prayers. It's a wonderful passage, isn't it? What I'd like to do is, is to take it in the two sections as it's given there, and there are two paragraphs. I'm going to give the heading for the first paragraph, An Audacious Prayer, and for the second paragraph, An Outrageous Confidence. So let's look at the first paragraph, verses 16 down to 19 is the part I'm going to focus on. Now Paul starts actually in verse 14 with, these, with this phrase, for this reason. And he's used that phrase before in chapter 1. And he's used it in verse 1 of this chapter and also he uses it again now. And on each occasion what Paul has been doing, he's been setting out to his readers the magnitude of God's redemptive work and purpose in the world and the part Christians play in it. The world, he says, is dysfunctional, divided, separated from God. And God's promise is to bring all these discordant elements into one in Christ Jesus. And he spells this out really very clearly in the preceding chapters. And he could have just left it there. But he doesn't. And each time, what he then goes on to do is to say, and now I want to pray for you. He senses, you see that in verse 13, that Christians can become discouraged. So he gets onto his knees at the very strong words here. He gets onto his knees to pray for a deepening of their faith, for a full realization of what they have and what they are in Christ, for a strengthening of their faith. If you're like me, you always need encouragement, don't you, in your faith, building up. And Paul does it here really big time. And as he does so, you can sense himself getting into it all, getting caught up in it. His argument moves logically forward, as it always does with Paul, but actually spiritually upward. And its rise is like a great crescendo, like a piece of music coming to an end and finishes up with that great word, Amen. Now you know Paul is a great wordsmith. But there are times in the whole book, actually, in this chapter where he uses superlatives, he almost starts looking around for words and he can't find them. We've met some of them already. Incomparably great power. Incomparably. Unsearchable riches. And we get more in this passage. He's looking for words. So what about this prayer? Well, Paul starts at the beginning, verse 16 to 17. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
The starting point is Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith by the Holy Spirit. And Paul is very careful to choose his words. The word for dwell here means permanent residence, not a temporary residence. What he's saying is to be a Christian is to commit, is to commit to Christ. In a world where long-term commitment isn't particularly valued or sought, God is saying, I want nothing less. A long-term commitment is where a relationship can grow and flourish. The phrase inner being is also well chosen. Paul says in your inner being. And in the Greek thinking of that time, inner being meant three things. Someone's reason, someone's conscience, and someone's will. So a commitment to faith is continuing. It begins, of course, with a response to the heart in God's love, but ultimately it involves the whole being, and it is ongoing. So that's the first gear. Now Paul moves up now into another gear, verses 17, the second part of 17 to 19. Here he has just one thought, and one thought only in mind, love. God's love for us, and our love for him. He begins by saying this, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love. He's searching for words, uses two metaphors, rooted, which implies growth, and established, foundation, implies stability, solidity, unshakenness. And when I read this, I was reminded of what Pastor Charles, one of the lead pastors we met in Rwanda, told me about Christians in Africa. He said this, The gospel has spread widely, but people's faith needs deeper roots. Pastors in particular, he said, need teaching and nourishment in the word of God. I was talking with him about my planned return visit to the Congo, And what he did was to confirm to me the real need for biblical teaching amongst people out there, in particular pastors. And that's added to my resolve when I go back to minister just this way to the pastors in that part of Congo that I visited. And I'll say more of this later. And then Paul moves up another gear. Verse 18. I pray that you might have power together with all the saints to grasp How wide and long and high and deep is the love of God and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Wonderful, wonderful words, aren't they? But somehow they don't seem quite enough. When Paul contemplates the love of God, he gets carried away. He talks about how wide it is and how long it is and how high and how deep it is. But in the end, he says, actually, it surpasses knowledge. Just surpasses knowledge. There have been many analogies made of these words down through the years. And just let me give you one example. One writer writes, In the breadth of its sweep, the love of Christ includes every person, of every kind, in every place. For me, that includes the Congo. 
in the length it would go, the love of Christ accepted the cross. In its depth, it descended to experience even death. In its height, he still loves us in heaven, where he makes intercession for us. And all this, of course, is wonderfully, wonderfully true. But it runs the risk of making us think that somehow we can capture God's love and put it in a box. We've got it in a sentence, and that's all that is. But actually, I don't think that's what Paul is on about here at all. As a student, I remember a mathematics professor telling me there were more numbers between naught and one than between one and infinity. And I couldn't get my head around that. And 50 years later, I still can't get my head around it. And I can't actually remember whether he tried to prove it to me or not. But interestingly, and I've forgotten everything else he ever said, this professor, just that one thing I remember. Because it left me thinking about vastness and hugeness and infinity. And I actually couldn't comprehend what he was saying. And in a way... That's how I quite like that, because it leaves me with this, this huge sense of something I couldn't get my head around. And what Paul is talking about here is quite important. He says, this love surpasses knowledge. He was talking to many of these people who would have been Greeks, and the Greeks liked the idea that they could get their heads around things. They could work it out for themselves. They could calculate it, measure it, sort it. And he said, you can't work it out. You can't measure it. You just can't do it. But Paul talks about grasping it. So can we get close to grasping God's love? Paul definitely thinks so. And he gives us a bit of a clue. He says, I pray that you may find power together with all the saints to grasp this love. The love of knowledge, the love of God can't be known in that sense. It can't be measured, but it can be grasped. It can be experienced. And what Paul is saying is it can be experienced within the community of God's people. It needs the whole of the people of God to comprehend the whole of the love of God. We need to share this love. We need to talk about this love. We need to help others experience what we found of this love because there are many, many of us and we've all picked it up in some kind of different way because it means to us what it means to us personally and this I think is what Paul is trying to say and there can't be a better way of encouraging ourselves and other Christians than to share what we've experienced of the love of God with each other and of course with others who may not know him Paul doesn't finish he goes up another gear verse 19 second part that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God Now, how on earth can we get a handle on this? The fullness of God. Fullness is the ultimate pinnacle of what Paul is asking in his prayer. And it's a big theme of Paul. It's a big theme in this book and elsewhere. Fullness. The fullness of God in me? That is a big ask, surely. Which is why I use the word audacious prayer. That's an audacious thing for him to ask of God. But actually Jesus said, did he not? I am come that they might have life and have it in all its fullness. God in all its fullness. God wants nothing less 
than that we are filled to the very fullness of himself through the Holy Spirit. And this can only happen if we are constantly and always open to him. You know, we might not, of course, reach that point where we know all the fullness of God down here, but we'll experience all that in heaven. But that isn't. That isn't to mean that we limit our longing for it. God expects us to be growing daily towards that fullness. The Christian life is a journey. It's not a one-stop shop. That's the prayer then. Audacious? Maybe. But could God answer such a prayer? Paul is in absolutely no doubt about that. And we get this in the second paragraph, beginning from verse 20. I've described this as an outrageous confidence. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Now this is a statement. It's not a prayer. This is a statement. I like the way John Stott treats this verse. He says this. God is able to do, for he is neither idle, inactive, nor dead. He is able to do what we ask, for he hears and answers prayer. He is able to do what we ask or imagine, for he reads our thoughts. He is able to do all we ask, as he knows it all and can perform it all. He is able to do more than all we ask because his expectations are higher than ours. He is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine because he does not give his grace by calculated measure. He is a God of superabundance. Do you believe this? Can you grasp this? Let me encourage you by giving you a personal example. I mentioned earlier about my return to the Congo. When I was there, I was overcome with the demands and needs of the pastors and of the people out there. And when I came back, I prayed and I prayed to God to show me just what to do. I felt I needed to respond in some way. And in seeking a way forward, I spoke to Alan and he helped me by pointing me to the Langham Partnership International. I went onto their website to find that they had literally just published a one-volume Bible commentary written in Swahili, which is the language of the people and the pastors there, just been produced, written by Africans for Africans. And it's the first of its kind. And I have the uh, English version here. $26 each, available in Tanzania, it said on the website. So, but eventually I made contact with somebody from Lango International, I explained to them my story, they said, look, if you're going to the Congo to provide free of charge some training in the Bible for pastors, we will provide you with 120 of these free of charge. That, for me, is immeasurably more than anything I had asked or imagined. The pastors there are poor, and I promised to try and provide the funds they need for the training, 
and, the how, and to be housed and to be fed when they're there because they find that very difficult to find the costs. And that's another prayer of mine. And if God can provide more than I expected here, I believe he can provide more than I expect in terms of finding the money to cover their costs. And so I would ask from you your support in prayer in, for me in this venture. Actually, for safety in travel, it's not a safe place. And for wisdom in preparing my material. And if I may, may I plug an event that's going to happen here on the 13th of September, 7.30 in the meeting place, when I'll be talking in more detail about my previous visit and what I'm planning to do and what I believe God is asking of me. And we'd love to see you there if you can make it. 13th November, Saturday. Did I leave that out? I'm sorry. I'm getting carried away myself. I'll say it again. Saturday, 13th November, 7.30, in the meeting place. Thank you, Alan. So, the first part, an audacious prayer. Yes, but well-founded. An outrageous and a well-founded confidence. Absolutely. Because Paul uses a word throughout this that shows why that prayer is well-founded. Why our confidence can be well-founded. Because everything is dependent on God's power. And that word comes through time and time again. Power is the underpinning word there. Not our power, but his power. And Paul ends this part of the letter on the highest note of all. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now I can't add anything to that. So I'm going to close by reading these few verses again. And if you tune in to what God is saying to us through Paul, if the passage really encourages and challenges you to a deeper life in Christ then when we get to the end, please give a resounding amen. If you're not quite sure that you can, but want to know more about the Christian faith, then please, please don't leave this morning until you've spoken to someone about that. We'd love to be able to help you to become part of this family where we can appreciate what God has done for us, the love that he has for us, and the love that he has for you. So I'm going to read this passage to close. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.